Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Time Extend. My name is Adam Ismail, and I'm joined today by... Brendan Norrison, and we're recording live on Twitch at the same time again, Adam. So second episode in a row on that. That's why I wanted to nail the... The transition from you introducing me because we were getting some shit in the Discord about the fact there's a massive delay usually whenever I say my name, so I wanted to be a bit quick and on that. So uh, yeah, but anyway, we're here to talk hot takes. It's 2023. What better things could we be doing right now? Yeah, but but hold up a second. I'm not aware of this delay. I didn't know there was a <laughs> because like I'll I mean peek behind the curtain. I will slightly tweak things by like milliseconds so that if there is any delay in the recording, it doesn't come out when we actually publish the episode. But I guess I guess I'm not on top of my shit. I'm doing no, I think wrong. it's I do actually think it's just more on my side. Like it's as if like I've got a, a vacant headspace or something. So when you say you're joined by, I usually take a bit longer than I probably should, so it's, it's, all, it's something only one or two people have pointed out, but it always makes me laugh when it comes up, because in my head I do feel as if it's that way, but I never consciously make an effort to change it, so, um, yeah. I think you're, I think you're all good, I think you're good. If we were talking, if we were talking on top of each other, then, you know, nothing, nothing would ever happen, it would just descend into chaos, so. Nothing wrong with taking a breath, but yeah, here we are. Hot takes 2023. Um, this was going to be the Christmas episode. It's not the Christmas episode, but instead we're doing it live. So uh, yeah, but we, we got a ton of uh, feedback, comments, everything from when you initially put out the request, which was way back in the beginning of November. And I was saying just before we went live, this is going to be the best hot takes ever, and that's because I'm noticing finally a distinct lack of uh, Forza Horizon sucks takes. There are a couple in here, but like way less of an overall percentage than there were before. So people are finally coming at us with like takes about things that we haven't talked about before, which is nice. Yeah, the, the Forza Horizon series is just such a magnet for this stuff for some reason like it definitely feels like with it being the kind of market leader at the moment you could say in terms of the popularity within industry and i think it's also like an easy racing game to be referenced in like mainstream articles about oh here's the best racing games and it's very easy to say forza horizon so naturally i think a lot of people feel it kind of loses it kind of makes the genre seem a bit more standardized and actually is there's some really cool stuff out there that's a bit more niche and such so i think that's why that typically dominates but this is like the third time we've done this question on twitter as well so i think we have managed to to wring the the towel of forza horizon despair out and now everybody is going to be bringing us some different stuff i mean adam we were having a brief chat before we started recording and th there are some real deep cuts in here by the sounds of it so yeah, uh, I think I kind of want to just get into it because I saw this one right before we went live and I love it because it's going to piss everyone off, but it, I agree <laughs> with it. Um, <laughs> all right, so uh, Tessemi, uh, T-E-S-S-E-M-I, they're going after um, the Golden Boy, I think, in Time Extend Lore, which of course is Ridge Racer. Uh, they said that Ridge Racer celebrated itself to death it refused to innovate on itself, and in the later years never added anything new. They only tried to nostalgia bait with their old games while never repeating the genius strategy of Ridge Racer Type 4, and now it's dead. Quality over speed. 
Uh, that is rough. I also want to add on to that one that really made me laugh, which is Mace saying, Ridge Racer 8 being canceled was for the best because if it was bad, I would have killed someone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if this first hot take you mentioned says anything, then it probably would have been the exact same game as like the four or five that pre- preceded it. So, um, yeah. 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 And I guess right before we get into this one, I'll say, you know, hot takes, I, I know I know they're done to death. I know that we are all inundated with them on Twitter. But the reason why I actually like this episode is because we kind of take, you know, we won't pay any attention to ones that are complete bullshit, but we'll, we'll take decent points or maybe not so decent points, whatever, just things that we see they're interesting. And just by talking about them, you kind of diffuse it. Like, I don't see anything wrong in that. And um, I think for as much as we, like, love and miss Ridge Racer, the reality is you look at it and, like, there was very little advancement between, like, 2004 and 2007 with that series. I mean, I guess 2012 if you're counting the Vita one, right? So, um, it, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a example of the market changing because once upon a time namco could spend all of its money on the new ridge racer and that made perfect financial sense and then all of a sudden by the end of the 2000s i wasn't feasible anymore so like it's it's really no surprise it went the way that it did i think i saw another hot take that was uh something to the effect of like outrun 2 could never be done again because the indie like the indie dev crowd doesn't have the resources and the AAA devs don't want to invest in that anymore. And that's the exact same reason why you won't see like a game like Ridge Racer anymore. So eh, I don't know. I think there's a lot of merit to that take. (laughs) Yeah. It's one of these ones, like you first read it and you would say that it's a a burning hot take. It's, it's out there, especially just because how much everybody loves Ridge Racer, but in actuality, I don't disagree with the underlying tone about the game being very... I mean, is it iterative's probably given it too much credit in, in many capacities. They obviously introduced a few new tracks here and there and some cars and stuff, but they never really got over that whole drift and boost type gameplay and never tried to refresh it in any meaningful ways. You obviously had different types of boost and that sort of thing, but nothing that really left a, a lasting impression, I would argue. And... Uh, I am curious about the idea behind that being that the the kind of the series celebrated itself to death because I'm not even sure if it was Namco kind of bigging up their own series and, and making it as if it's fantastic and then not trying to improve it so much as it was just a kind of easy series for them to churn out over a good few consoles and the, the gameplay loop was very steady and um, oh, you, there's a new HD console out, so why not basically kind of upscale the assets from Ridge Racer 2 and such and bring them over to the new console? It felt more like, uh, for, for quite some time, Namco had the series sitting there in a condition that was great fun, looked pretty decent at the time, of course, and the game is very crisp-looking regardless if it's PSP or through to, to, to the Vita. It's a very crisp-looking game. I used to think it was more just an... And this is an issue I have with kind of Bandai Namco in general, it more felt as if the series was an easy thing they could churn out time after time. I never really got that feel from it that they were saying, look how fantastic what we've made is. I really do think it was more just they didn't actually want to kind of create a new game and and be a bit more experimental with it. It just feels as if it was a a, a series that got pretty stagnant as opposed to over-celebrated. 
Yeah, yeah, I don't think it was hubris in the sense of being over-celebrated. I think they just realized that, you know, they kind of had this base and maybe didn't have the money or the time to invest in it like they used to, so they just kind of kept iterating on it. And, I mean, the other thing, too, is, like, Ridge Racer was always... It was always a tech showcase for Namco, and I'm not saying it didn't sell well, because I'm sure it sold very well in, like, the PS1 and maybe the early PS2 days, but, like... It was more of a place for Namco to say, hey, look what we can do. And they were like one of the most technically forward developers uh, at the time. So, you know, you can do that with a racing game pretty easy, easily. We've, you know, we've talked about this over and over again. We've uh, spoken with uh, John from uh, Digital Foundry about it. And like, yeah, I mean, I remember him saying like, you, there's a reason you see racing games like early like as launch titles and stuff like that because it's a very it's a very good snapshot to give people of like here's what the console can do here's why you should buy this over the last one that you already own and so on so yeah we'll we'll keep talking about the death of Ridge Racer forever I think I really do think one day it's gonna come back how it comes back I don't I don't freaking know but I feel like nothing is ever truly dead. No, no, of course not. And I think as well, like, obviously the, the signs were pointing towards a Switch revival for so long. We've talked about that numerous times. And then, of course, we found out that maybe perhaps it was actually the PlayStation it was being built for instead. And yeah. maybe that means Namco see the merit in that type of technical showcase you're talking about. You're, you're certainly not going to get that out of Nintendo hardware. So maybe they actually feel as if the future of the series is more in line with kind of being that type of showcase title again that they could really do with to be honest I mean I know that they obviously have the kind of uh, From Software published games Bandai Namco but outside of that and maybe Ace Combat you could argue that they do kind of get by on those kind of bit part anime games they, they turn out quite a lot these days so a, a little bit of variation would be good there obviously Tekken as well sorry Tekken yeah oh. um yeah, I think Ridge Racer still has a place, and it would be great if we if we actually see it come back into the limelight. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but we could talk about Ridge Racer all show, so we want to <laughs> move on to the next one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just have a look to see what the best choice is here, because there's, there's quite a lot, so I was wanting to kind of start with a pretty strong one, um, and yeah this one's pretty good actually um we obviously didn't we covered need for speed underground last time and we made references to most wanted and such but uh wes jurica and that's at nike's car says that need for speed most wanted has an overly assisted uninteresting handling model not deserving of an arcade racer that gets the praise that it does even if that praise is just nostalgia fueled so I mean, this is something that's kind of, you could say, you could leverage at most of the kind of black box Need for Speed titles off the bat, I would argue. Um, I don't agree with it personally, but I think that this seems like a take more inspired by this idea that difficult equals good, even in arcade racing games. I feel as if the kind of Need for Speed titles from Underground, Most Wanted and such, were great fun to play and they didn't really need this insanely difficult handling model that needs you to get every inch of track to your kind of advantage. Uh, I feel as if the handling models in those games suit the type of game that it actually is. Yeah, I think the use of the word overly assisted is interesting to me because I feel like if you go back and you look at older 
arcade racing games and i you know they're talking about i assume the 2005 one here so that's old enough like it's not really overly assisted it just has a lot of grip like that's kind of it it just it has a lot of grip that game the black box games gave you a lot of grip and um there was a little bit of like skittishness or oversteer but not really so much that you could carry a drift with and those were very grip focused games and with the need for speed fandom there's always this like constant war between like break to drift versus grip or whatever and i find it incredibly stupid and annoying but like um i also think it's it's interesting too because we put this out like a month before unbound came out and so i'm i'm interested how people kind of compare Unbound in the lineage of Need for Speed handling, where they would rate that, but uh, as it comes to 2005, yeah, I don't, I mean, the handling in that game, I don't think it's great, but I think it works, and ultimately, like, Need for Speed, I don't think has ever had a handling model, and I love, like, Hot Pursuit 2, which was the first black box game, I don't think that series has ever had a handling model where I'm like, yes, this feels physically perfect. It's more about, like, the situations you're in, the locales you're driving through, the cop chases, the sense of speed. It's not really about the physicality. I think the more that Need for Speed actually tries to be about that, the more it fails. Because, like, the Ghost era and up till Unbound has just been all over the place for me personally. I, I can't stand the way Unbound handles, and I've said this on Twitter, and people yelled at me about it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, Twitter gamer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um... <laughs> But yeah, I mean, Gus, uh, Gus saying never found the NFS handling model good. Um, that's again, I think the black box games. Uh, yeah, it just it just works for what it is. I think what Black Box did, if you could say that they like failed or something, they they erred on the side of caution to me, which is like in the city-based racing game, open-world city-based racing game, you want the ability to make quick changes. You want the ability to just, especially if you're trying to like lose the cops or whatever, you want the ability to just like do a quick handbrake turn into like a 90 degree left or right intersection, whatever. And you can do that in Most Wanted 2005. So like, maybe it's not that much fun, but it gives you all the tools you need to have a good time and be successful and play the game properly. And I think that's really all you can ask for. Yeah. Exactly, and it, for me, it's one of these ones where I, I don't think a Need for Speed game is ever going to be purely defined by its physics model. Anyway, as long as what is there kind of goes in synchronization with what the game is trying to do from a gameplay design point of view and what the main objective of the game is, then it, it's going to be great fun. And for me, that's one of the reasons why, um, just because it's came up a few times, but. The un Unbound didn't get me on board because I felt as if I was constantly at odds with the actual driving experience itself trying to find some fun as opposed to it just flowing naturally and feeling like a, 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 a fun street racing experience um, and, and to be honest the older Need for Speed games were a lot better at getting that across without making it feel as if like it was this like, incredibly from a physicality point of view incredibly in-depth in racing game. I don't think every racing game needs to have that level of depth and Need for Speed's definitely a series that thrives on that mainstream appeal. So, personally, I disagreed with that hot take and uh, I just I decided to bring up another take that's on the screen just looking sure. back on it. It's pretty funny. Um, but it was basically Need for Speed Unbound is likely to be an underdeveloped cringe fest. But we are so desperate for a new good Need for Speed that we just ignore that. Now, uh, Adam, my question to you is, 
uh, YouTube in 2025 when they do their natural retrospectives on Need for Speed Unbound, will this be the type of sentiment or do you think this one's way off the mark? I, yeah, I think people really want to love Unbound and want to forgive it, which is interesting to me because I kind of thought everybody was going to hate it just because it was a Need for Speed game and the last, I don't know, four have been varying points of okay, bad, good, but not good enough. I don't know. It just seems like it's impossible for, for uh, Criterion Ghost, whoever is at EA, to please people. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I would I would certainly not call the game an underdeveloped cringe. <laughs> I, I think, for all of my complaining, I, I like the game. I've put a lot of hours into the game. It's a good game, and it's... You know, I have issues with it, but, like, there's aspects... It's like we talk about a lot with, you know, games like uh, the 7 out of 10 racers, you know, your auto modelistas and stuff like that. It's like, even if they have problems, there is a nugget here that's like, no one else is doing this. This is really cool. And I feel that a lot with Need for Speed Unbound. So um, how YouTube will look back on in 2025, I, I don't know. I feel like people forget they played it more than anything else. But I hope that the next Need for Speed, whatever it is, kind of takes more risks than Unbound take took because for me it just felt like heat with the furniture rearranged in a way that was honestly pretty frustrating <laughs> but <that's it. laughs> no i'd agree with that i just had such a strange sense of deja vu in the first few hours of the game and i mean we are two people who really enjoyed heat you especially and we've been yeah. advocated for it a good few times so i can see why It'd be kind of hard to get into, but regardless, you, you've been playing a ton of it anyway, and and people are enjoying that at the moment. But like all things, time kind of gives a bit of clarity, and it'll be interesting to see what people think about it in retrospect. Because maybe it is just kind of what the Need for Speed series needed—a little kind of steady the ship type game, build upon what was there to a relative extent before maybe going down a different route. Through who knows, like a hot pursuit. To type thing in terms of a another kind of reboot of that or to who knows what route they'll go down beneath for speed but yeah I think this one uh, a bit off the mark underdeveloped cringe fest isn't well that's just I mean that's just the way that people are gonna talk you know you can't yeah you can't yeah. go I, I am genuinely I, I said it and for all my complaints with the game I am genuinely happy that the game was received as well as it was and that like criterions back in the saddle and got that you know kind of uh sense of like goodwill from everybody about it like i think that's good um so yeah here's to here's to more things better things uh continuing things with need for speed in the future absolutely so what's your next take mate have you identified another one yeah um i want to know what you have to think about this i i feel like you might agree with it uh mario kart well first of all from uh, darth feo uh, thanks for chiming yep. in. Mario Kart Mario Kart 8 had the best original score for a racing game in the 2010s. I doubt this could be a hot take, but people barely talk about the soundtrack, and that game handles music better than 90% of racers that came out in the last decade, from the production to performances themselves. I think you gotta give it to Mario Kart 8. I mean, really. We don't talk about it because it's like Mario Kart. And <laughs> I, yeah. you know, it's it's more of a genre thing, not the not quality of the game thing or anything like that, but Hey, they they throw a full band at that game. You can't you can't fuck with that. Nobody's nobody is executing on the level that Nintendo is. 
So I think like for the, the purposes of, of being as transparent as possible, I will I will base my thoughts on this on Mario Kart 8 with DLC on the Wii U because right now Mario Kart 8 Deluxe with the uh, the mobile course pack stuff going on just now means the overall quality of that game has dipped in terms of like the musical scores and stuff yeah. since they, they don't use the, the real band anymore for like those new tracks and such so we'll see Mario Kart 8 as complete on the Wii U um, and I, I do actually agree with that quite a lot because like you are saying that they've got a real band actually kind of composing the songs they've got that kind of full live recordings type thing going on and it really makes for a fantastic experience and, and in general Mario Kart 8 I think a lot of people like underplaying just how good that game is in terms of a game de- a game design perspective, the actual art style itself, the the music and the actual gameplay loop. Because I think I've said before on the podcast, I'm not a massive uh, Mario Kart or Nintendo Mario stuff in general fan. I'm very much somebody who really loves DS. I really love the Wii one, um, and then it it deluxe for me is pretty much the best kart racer of all time, which is probably a hot take in itself for some people, but speaking specifically on the music side of things, I think it's just an absolute thrill ride of musical expertise from Nintendo when they were really going for that big band type feel. I think there's like Mario 3D World as well that's got like the exact same band composing the music there. And the best thing about the soundtrack is that there's just such variation because of all the different type of track environments, all of that sort of thing. And if we're talking about original soundtracks anyway, I, I mean, how many games is it probably up against there when you're thinking about <laughs> kind of original compositions? So yeah. maybe that's what makes it not so much of a hot take. It's not really up against much of anything at all. Well, there's obviously... I, I mean, you could look at like the 2010s because that's what they're saying. So over the last decade, there have been some games, you know, like Drive Club had yeah. some original music, yeah. stuff like that. You know, maybe some Codemasters games might have had some original music. But yeah, I mean, but Nintendo, Nintendo can do that. You know, they can they can throw all of their weight at the soundtrack like that, and uh, no one else is really going to invest in that way. And nobody else is making like a kart racer, so they're probably not gonna. You know, for for a kart racer, you'll you'll have original music, whereas like you probably wouldn't have that for like a normal racing game these days. It would it would tend to be more licensed. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a bit of a hot take, I guess, in the sense that in the racing space, especially like Mario Kart, doesn't really get discussed that much um, in favor of more kind of underplayed kart racers, such as I guess actually no, think about it, it's probably next main competitor would be Sonic Transformed. I guess because like obviously that's yeah. all kind of original compositions and stuff, remixes of songs, and you got Richard Jack kind of doing the the main remixes there. I guess the only thing about that soundtrack is that it aged a bit with the kind of dubstep focus. You could argue, I guess it's not going to age as gracefully as like the Mario Kart tunes, but at the same time, that had a very specific style that was very nice. But um, yeah. It, I would probably say that it's definitely a contender. I would need to actually think about what came out in the 2010s in terms of original compositions and stuff. I don't want to say for sure that it is the absolute best, but one thing I do know is that every single piece of music in that game is so meticulously crafted that yeah. you can't you can't knock it. And it's it's like you were saying, Adam. Like Nintendo throw as much budget as required into a game like this because it's such a common staple within that subgenre of racing game. 
And that's just for me, like Mario Kart 8 just feels like the most complete package because of that, which includes the music, so. I mean, to this day, somehow Nintendo is able to find people who own Switches that don't have Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. <laughs> and it just every year they find more and it doesn't make any sense. So uh, they're definitely getting the return on their investment. I do want to mention that uh, we have Tin in the chat and because I actually just saw their, uh, their comment, their hot take. They said that the Sonic Robo Blast 2 Kart is the best kart uh, racing game, kart racer ever made. I have never heard of this before. No, no, me either. I'm actually Googling it right now <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to, to get an idea. I think I've seen Tim talk about it before in the Discord, actually, or maybe even um, maybe in some of the GT First Day sessions. But I will be brutally honest, I've never actually played this it says it's got uh features over a hundred maps two game modes so the wiki says uh, it is a modification or so it is originally based on the mario kart mode of srb2 riders now srb2 riders is another this is like the sonic the sonic like fan dev community like props to them but i cannot for the life of me follow anything that they ever do like it's just like i it replicates the gameplay and levels of sonic riders okay so it looks like so it looks like a pseudo like um like a low poly or like a 3d sprite or a 2d sprite scaler kind of sonic riders game but i don't know the robo mod might be different i there is a shit ton of characters in this game, by the way. I'm just looking and like I'm seeing like Kirby, I'm seeing Blaze the Cat, I'm seeing some characters from Freedom Planet as well, which is another I think it started off life as like a Sonic fan game, but did come out as a Wow. A full fledged release. There's Isabel from Animal Crossing, because of course. Uh there's a metal slug in there as well. So <laughs> it certainly looks like something. One thing I thought was really cool was that at the last uh, Sonic Game Jam or Sonic Game Expo or whatever they call it, uh, the guy making Overjump, the uh, the Sega Rally Reborn in UE5 yeah. was there. and uh, That's cool. I like that that game got a lot of attention. And there was a demo that came out, uh, like kind of a little snippet last year uh, that I was fooling around with. And it's still very rough, but like it looks amazing. And I love that somebody's trying. So um, that'll be fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, like, the, the sad reality is when you hear about projects like this and you see images of, oh, here's what it could look like, you just kind of now automatically assume it might not see the light of day and there, there might be too many challenges to get it in a playable state, let alone a full release. And it was, it was a great thing to see when that demo actually released. Even, like you're saying, if there's some kind of rough around the edges parts, I think the well, he's, requirements he's to play it were pretty high as well. And yeah, I think yeah, exactly. he also <laughs> said that he doesn't have, like, he, he obviously has, like, development experience, but I don't think, like, game development experience. Like, he's never made a game before. So, like, I think. So, um, yeah, I mean, super impressive from that perspective. And he has the right uh, sort of mindset about it, which is, like, he wants to make a game with three tracks and two cars. <laughs> like, that's it. That's an achievable goal, you know? It's, like, it's not like when they announced um, what ended up being Hot Shot Racing, and at first they announced a the game, then they were like, we want to have, like, the destruction mode and all this other stuff. And then the game got, like, so big that it was just, by the time it came out, it was like, I don't even know what I'm looking at anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Anyway, uh, yeah. all right. What is next? 
So, I've chosen one, like we, we always do focus on the arcade racers pretty much here and I always feel as if we should throw at least one sim related one in since like it does have the lion's share now you would argue in terms of like gamer mind space, that sort of thing. Uh, we obviously, it won't be a genre in a few years when Ian Bell takes over the full thing with his uh, new fantasy project. <laughs> GTR so, revival. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's actually, it was like some of the he was talking about the game recently, actually, and this is why this take stood out to me, because it kind of ties into what he was saying about what people were giving him feedback on, about his fantasy game and all that sort of thing. Um, and this person here says basically that the vast majority of racing games, or sims to be specific, that focus on GT3, Formula 1, other purpose-built race cars are phenomenally boring. Seeing production cars stock and tuned rip around racetracks are and forever will be more interesting to play as in racing games. Shout out to Gran Turismo. So, I at first didn't think this really qualified as a hot take because I think everybody wants variation, right? Like, that's kind of, you want a nice balance of different things. If you think about Toka back in the day, you didn't just have the, the touring cars, the British touring cars, you also had like the Ford K Cup cars and the Formula Renaults, I think, at some point might have made it or, or something like that. There's always been that kind of need to diversify and provide multiple different cars, that sort of thing. Gran Turismo, Forza Motorsport, definitely the, the, the best experience of trying to replicate that and Forza Horizon 2 on the more arcade side of things. But I do think in the sim space specifically just now, there is very much a focus on replicating one specific spec series or series to the nth degree over providing a more varied experience. So I think it qualifies as a hot take because I think the way development is shifting within the genre is to focus on specific disciplines, but I feel as if there is actually something to be said for still trying to capture that more varied experience. Even if the main focus of your game is GT3, should you be really throwing away all the kind of production car-led kind of sim stuff and everything done, say for example, Competizione compared to Base Assetto Corsa? What do you think here, Adam? Do you feel as if like this focus on very specific uh, series racing is better, or do you think we really do need to actually see a bit more variation here? I think the problem is like inherently, if you have like a game based on F1 or sports car racing or whatever, like it's it's not going to have the the variation that you want. If you like a game like Gran Turismo, having that sort of or like Need for Speed or whatever, having that ability to customize your car for to you know, and 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 kind of chart your own course, you're it's gonna be more rigid and boxed in. But to me, the way that you make up for that is by fleshing out the career. Uh, and this is always like why I go back to like a game like Dirt Four versus a game like Dirt Rally or Dirt Rally 2.0. It's like or WRC Generations versus like Dirt Rally. It's like you can you can build in some of that autonomy and some of that sense of purpose and challenge um from all of like the non race aspects of the game by like making the career a little bit more interesting kind of and and it's not like rocket science to do that i actually think like the f1 games i've kind of fallen out of them but I've also kind of fallen out of F1 too. But I think the the F1 games have done a good job of like really fleshing out the career mode, the manager, the managerial aspects. I don't I don't hate the skill tree. I know some people some people get bored of that, but I actually kind of love it. It it's like just 
a button like uh, itch to kind of scratch that just makes me feel like I'm progressing and and bettering my team and my vehicle and stuff like that. Sponsors, you know, all of that stuff. I I think that's kind of how you do it. Um, anyone who can come up with like more interesting ways to do that, sure. I think it is asking developers too much to be like. Like, it's asking Kunos a lot to be like, we're going to be the GT3 game with all the GT3 cars, the official licenses, the official tracks, a series of Blancpain, whatever, everything. But we're also going to get, like, licenses for road cars. And, like, that's a lot. That's a lot in these days. You kind of have to do either or. You can dip your toes into some of the officially licensed stuff, but it's it's a challenge. Uh, and it also costs a lot of money. So I think if you're making a game, like a... WRC, GT3, F1, whatever, like you have to, you have to kind of try to build that in back with the career. Um, and I think it's a little more, con I, like Project Cars, I remember in the beginning was like, oh, how we'll do that is like, we'll have the driver journey where you start out in a cart and then eventually one day maybe you'll end up in fake F1. But it's like, that takes a year, you know, like maybe I don't want to spend like, 10 hours racing carts because the thing is like you know you're going to be driving the same car you're going to be doing a lot of repetitive sessions so you need other different ways and and it doesn't even maybe necessarily have to be a challenge like i'm really excited to dig back into um cmr3 uh because uh silent has been talking a lot about like modifying that game and and uh, patching for PC and stuff. And CMR3 is one of those games that didn't have a lot of content, but it just, it made you feel so like, like immersed in the environment with like the active um, service parks and stuff like that. I think, I think those things go a long way when it comes to like a licensed motorsport racing game. So yeah, I think you just have to be more creative with it if you're making a game like that. Yeah, I think that that is fair, right? The kind of ballooning costs of game development across the board right now speak for themselves and especially in a, a marketplace where if you're marketing yourself as a sim there, there is already a target on your back in terms of how you're replicating that motorsport. Um, are you doing it better than other titles? That sort of thing. Um, I guess the irony there is that these type of judgments mostly come from people who've never driven such cars, but the, the argument is still there that if you drive uh, an Audi R8 in one game and it doesn't handle the way that it is in the other six, then you'll be kind of assumed to be the one in the wrong. So I imagine a lot of effort goes into the, the kind of small amount of cars, making sure that they actually kind of get replicated correctly. But at the same time, I, I do think there is a... There is a trend at the moment where basically every single every single series kind of wants its own definitive sim and they, they want to be a full-priced sim at that. I just wonder how many people actually care enough about driving GT3s to that level of quality, for example, or or any series really. And obviously, I said, of course, a Competizione has been a great success, but in terms of all those other series that are maybe looking at it and just looking at the chat as well, William was saying about like the World of Outlaws game for example, being a really cool example of a specific motorsport being represented to the nth degree with high kind of levels of accuracy, that sort of thing, but is it really the type of game that a lot of people will actually be able to, to kind of justify paying the money for given the amount of effort that goes into creating that type of game? There is a challenge there I think in terms of the balance. And um, like when we were talking about GTR 3 Revival just before this hot take, that was 
like I said, it was some tweets from Ian Bell that made this one stand out to me, where basically he'd obviously said when he kind of first pitched this the elevator pitch via Twitter, in terms of it's all the hardcore sim you can want for this series, that sort of thing. And then, like, a few weeks down the line, he was actually like, well, you know what, if we could include production cars, what production cars would you like? So, I feel as if, like, it, you can say what you want about how the Project Car series turned out, but I do think in terms of what he done at Slightly Mad Studios and the team done there, they kind of had a good grasp on what could actually be successful. So, that little bit of diversification beyond the main objective of the game can be good, but obviously you don't want to detract from the main vision of what's trying to be created. So... I do think the the point about the career mode is good because that's typically where you can get a bit more mileage out of your title and maybe take attention away from the on-track action enough to make it feel unique. It's just a hard balance to get, right? Um, But if if it's just a straight-up sim replicating a specific style of motorsport, it's going to be for you, it isn't. Like, if you're really not that interested in driving those types of cars in a realistic manner, then of course it's going to be boring. But at the same time... I think the Formula 1 series' recent successes have proven that the there are stuff you can offer above and beyond the driving experience, and that doesn't necessarily come in the form of allowing you to drive other classes of car, that sort of thing. I'm not doubting that people drive the Formula 2 cars and the, the supercars and the newest ones, but I do think the career mode additions have made a much larger impact in terms of keeping things exciting, so part of me... Uh, feels like this hot take can actually be kind of lessened if you look at it through the lens of is it the actual game design it's failing rather than the representation of driving a specific class of vehicle yeah yeah and and we also have to consider that like these are more often than not annual games if you're talking about something that's made based on a particular kind of series and like that's going to ultimately like sort of pigeonhole you in terms of being able to evolve your iterations gonna come a lot slower so um yeah that's the nature of the beast uh <laughs> yeah i'm i'm getting i've missed a lot with ian bell's twitter account and i like that he's he he is doing <laughs> he is doing and i actually don't mean this in a terrible way it's going to sound terrible at first. He's kind of doing the Elon thing where he's asking everybody what they want him to do. Unlike Elon, I actually think Ian Bell is going to do yeah. some of the things he said. Like, he says he'll put, you know, licensed cars, uh, road cars in the game that he finds interesting. So he'll probably do that. You know, it's not like it's not like the fake choice that you get from the guy who's running Twitter right now. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that'll, that'll be one to watch yeah. for sure. Um, anyway... So we, we just talked about kart racers, but we've never talked about this one. And uh, I think we, we should mention this, especially because it comes from uh, a very important uh, person. So uh, Dodge Lamb, who you may know is uh, Daniel Solis, uh, GT World Series driver, said that Diddy Kong Racing was a million times better than any Mario Kart game could ever <laughs> wish to be. Now, uh, Daniel did not... Uh, sort of expound upon this in in a way uh, where we really understand what it, why Diddy Kong Racing is so much better Mario Kart. I would imagine it's because of like the overworld and um, you know the uh, the various environments are all kind of linked together and the the challenges in the game and um, having a pseudo open world design. Uh, and it's something that people love about Crash Team Racing too. 
I get I get where they're coming from if you're not talking about like the driving. You know? Because I think in terms of the driving, like, we, we, we talked about Mario Kart 8 Deluxe a lot. We, you kind of have to give it to that. Maybe Sonic All-Stars Racing Transform, but Mario Kart 8's pretty, it's pretty perfect. Um, it's more about the everything else. And the everything else is very important, but, uh, yeah, so they also, uh, I should say, they also say, uh, although I disagree, Crash Team Racing is legendary in its own right. Super valid opinion. Um, my issue with Crash Team Cream Racing is that I just kind of hate Crash Bandicoot, so that, <laughs> off the bat, just kind of completely, um, disqualifies that game. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, some, some kinds of, like, uh, kart racers that you don't really see made anymore. I mean, kart racers in general aren't, are definitely not what they were at their height. I mean, I don't think anyone really wants to even bother trying to compete with Mario Kart anymore, except for maybe Sega every, like, five years. But, um... No one's doing like the overworld thing, you know, no one's doing. And I think that's kind of interesting because like you have like nitro fueled, right? But like every now and then, like somebody will be like, oh, we're going to make like a Mario golf clone. Like we're going to make some sort of like light sports simulation, but really it's going to have like some sort of like story mode in the middle. And nobody does that anymore. And it's kind of sad. Yeah, I always wonder if it's like the the overworld side of things is more of a technical limitations being broke down so it's like back in the day to kind of create that feel of a larger game with more in it it was a good way of kind of emulating that pseudo open world type experience whereas I feel as if nowadays for some reason like if somebody were to make a game with that type of setup it would probably be it would probably be slated for not just being like a kind of open, fully open world type racer game, if that makes sense, in terms of like a kart racer trying to emulate that experience, because it was definitely a type of concept you would imagine that was made from kind of technical limitations. I think if anybody can create something that truly feels open and and easily approachable, they'll make that. But it definitely feels that just generally across the board, you don't really see that anymore, because if you even consider like Mario 64, um, the kind of Peach's Castle and all of that sort of thing for getting into levels. Uh, the newer Mario games don't do anything like that, really. It's more kind of like just a top-down map, go into the level, take it from there. And uh, yeah, it just feels like kind of a, a game concept that isn't really looked at anymore. And on the, the kind of the point about the main... Uh, the, sorry, the main point being about Diddy Kong being better than Mario Kart, I do think like it's this classic thing of... Mario Kart tries to do the absolute bare minimum as far as a kart racer is concerned and doesn't really stray out of its lane. So naturally, when it, whenever any pretenders or competitors come for the throne, what they do is kind of expand out to the nth degree. If you think about Sonic Transformed, it's the, the very meaty kind of campaign mode with loads of different game modes, uh, loads of different speed classes, all that sort of thing. Uh, Diddy Kong Racing at the time took the approach of that more kind of classic rare story lore based world with a bit more behind it but I, I just feel as if when you're playing a kart racer and you're, you're sticking on a kart racer for a few a few games a few races like Mario Kart still beats it out I, I, I understand the kind of the scope and what they were going for is much larger uh, Crash Team Racing the kind of the main plus point people say about that game is how it's kind of more geared towards competitive play or, or sweaty type play in terms of if you're good at Crash Team Racing you will not lose to somebody who's worse I think that kind of 
detracts from what a kart race are supposed to be in a way. Yeah. I get it. I, I love I love Crash Team Racing. I do, but like that, I've got a, a mate, um, and like anything Crash Team Racing comes out, it's just like it feels like you're versing like somebody who plays like I Racing compared to you playing fucking Gran Turismo or something like that. In terms of, there's just no competition there. If you're really good at that game, you will always beat people who aren't as good, and. I don't know, I feel as if a kart race was supposed to be a party game in the first place, it's supposed to replicate the madness of racing where anything can happen, and for that reason that's why I still think Mario Kart comes out on top of CTR as well. But compared to Diddy Kong Racing, I really appreciate what it went for, I love the kind of the environments, I love the, the tracks, that sort of thing, but I really feel as if the, it, you're, you, are you being honest, are you ever going to take out Diddy Kong Racing over Mario Kart when you fancy a kart race or a few friends, I just... I can't really see it, but you know what? That's it's a it's a world of opinions. So maybe I, that's just my perspective. I do want to revisit the game. I mean, like it's very it's very single player focus. It can do the multiplayer thing, but it's it's very single player focus. And I think it kind of lands in the same domain as not coincidentally a game like Ukulele or something that like nobody's gonna like no like AAA developer is gonna make that today. But like. I could see like whoever from Rare like ran things and you know uh, was like the lead on Diddy Kong Racing being like we're gonna make a spiritual successor to Diddy Kong Racing and then they announce on yeah. Kickstarter and then seven years later it comes out and it's okay like I feel like Diddy Kong Racing is one of those games so um, yeah I can I can understand it I I do honestly feel bad for like every developer that tries to go up against Mario Kart does all of these interesting and new things and then just gets completely slaughtered in terms of sales. It's like it, it and it's not that Mario Kart's like a worse game because we're talking about all the reasons that we like it and think that like it's it, it achieves that balance of skill but also ultimately being fun for everybody, which is what Kart Racer is supposed to be. Mario Kart does that the best. But I do feel bad when like you look at all of like all of the work that was put into to a game like Sonic Transformed and the depth of that career mode and everything and it's just like I mean, I think it did well, but, like, they haven't made, you know, the, the next kart racer they made after that was, like, massively scaled back. So I think that pretty much tells us everything that you need to know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the less said about that downgrade, the better <laughs> in many ways. All right, so I got one here, and this might be a good reflective one <clears throat> to end on. Uh, so Sad Ark said, once we hit the Xbox One generation of games, every racing game has become the most reductive version of itself in the genre. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I completely disagree with that because I think if you can look at series sort of where they were before that generation and where they were like after the Xbox One and PS4, like... You saw a lot of series kind of that maybe were more ambitious before just sort of take a step back. I mean, like you look at like, and, and there might be varying reasons for that. It, it might probably has something to do that like in years like 2007, 2008, maybe like 2010, like that was probably the end or whatever year Blur and Split Second came out was probably like the last <laughs> year that like there was a big explosion of like racing games yep. that were diverse. And that was kind of right at the tail end of that generation because after that, things kind of uh, things kind of slowed down. Codemasters went through something where they were releasing so many games at the end of that 360 PS3 generation, 
and then all of a sudden things just kind of ground to a halt. You didn't see dirt for a while. Uh, you didn't see grid for a while. Um, it was a weird time. So, but in terms of being reductive, like, you know, it was interesting with like Ken Block passing away. Um, I recently took a, a, a dive back into Dirt 2 for uh, a stream that Jalopnik just did. And like, yeah, I forgot kind of how ambitious that game was and, and the sense of purpose it had and Dirt 3 as well. And, and it gets kind of um, lost, but like Dirt 3 had like a ton of content. So, yeah, I, I kind of look back and I think that for whatever reason, budgetary or otherwise, like the big dreams kind of got downscaled in size entering like the middle of the 2010s. Uh, yeah, I don't know what your thoughts on, on that are, but I could, I could see that. Yes, yeah, I think it's, I mean, we, we, we talk about that point in time where Split Second, Blur, Mod Nation all released uh, within a very short time window and we I think there's a reason we always come back to that point because it, it is kind of where the most creative racing games or the, the last creative racing games we, we ever got kind of happened and the issue that kind of plagues all type of creative endeavours in my opinion is when a, a clear blueprint for success appears or in the case of the racing genre two clear blueprints for success appear because Gran Turismo set the tone very, very early on, the PlayStation era, but it's an expensive game to make, which means the vast majority of developers can get close to creating something like that. So everybody tries their own spin on things, they, they introduce new, unique ways of playing a racing game that you might not see elsewhere, everybody tries doing that. But then I feel as if, kind of like we're saying towards the end of the Xbox One era, there was definitely that divergence of sim racers want very specific, meticulous sim racing experiences, and Forza Horizon is the blueprint from now on for all arcade racers and we'll kind of di diverge off of that slightly but that is where the kind of level of success is and I, since, I think since then um, especially with how important player retention numbers are these days and basically having word of mouth almost appears more important than actual sales a lot of the time as well I do think that many racing games that come out now basically exist to try and have that kind of FOMO recurring theme of here's new cars being dropped, why don't you drive these, here's kind of constant updates and it's more about a content war as opposed to the actual kind of gameplay and underlying experience regarding that so um, if you were to ask somebody I guess what the kind of key unique selling point of any racing game in the past 5-10 years is um, that you cannot find elsewhere, then it would be very difficult. It's not as easy as saying most split seconds about blowing buildings up and trying to kind of crush your opponents in a TV show. Uh, Blur, it's obviously a very realistic kart racer with full license and very kind of underground vibe, that sort of thing. Uh, even if you talk about kart racers, which are the kind of most generic kind of cookie cutter type racing games you can get, you could still say with Mod Nation that it was very much a build your own kart racer within this kart racer. Now it's more like, like I've talked before about why I didn't get on with Dirt 5 and for me it was more that idea that I just felt as if it drew the line at this is an arcade racer. There aren't many of those anymore, like for me yeah. that was the issue I had with that game where it was like, I'm glad that you're an arcade racer but you're not really 
doing anything different or unique. Is, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess that, yeah, that's the issue for me. It's like it's great seeing a modern game kind of designed around the arcade racing principles that we we, we often cherish and, and big up for older games. But then I'm directly comparing you against similar types of experience like that, like Dirt 3, like Dirt 2. And right. I would still rather play those ones. And I've said before a few times, I'm not somebody who goes back and plays old games all the time. Ideally, I want to find modern games that scratch the right itches. But the, like, the Dirt 5 point for me was more like that was a case of suddenly just being an arcade racing game was the selling point. And it really came across that way to me, and outside of that, it didn't really have its own identity. And I think a lot of racing games, like um, Grid Legends, is a good example, I guess, of something that tried to iterate upon the original motif the game had of the the underlying villainy of Raven West and all that sort of stuff. It's not made abundantly clear, but the in Legends they actually played that up. They almost kind of it's a they adapted what the community mindset towards that game was and put it into a title, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so at least that had something there. Right. But it just feels that for a lot of games now, it's more like, here's yet another uh, rally cross rally game with uh, the same cars you've used a million times. Uh, maybe some unique kind of original courses if you're lucky, but most of the time you're just getting that kind of generic experience over and over again, and yeah. it's not to say they aren't fun, it's just that they're just like, th- th- that reductive point we're talking about now, we are at that point where we're almost surprised when something does actually have a unique feel in the racing genre, and I feel as if it's not something that will resolve itself in the, the near future either. Yeah, I mean, Dirt 5 felt like a very bare-bones game. I liked it. I, that's one of those uh, few games that we really like disagreed on. Like I actually, I <laughs> yeah, thought it was yeah. a lot of fun. Um, I and I think that a lot for for me a lot that has to do with like whatever the secret sauce was that like uh, Cody's Evo had in their engine was just like I loved it in every single game. Drive Club, uh, On Rush, and Dirt Five. Like they all just those games are beautiful, and and I'm gonna really miss that technology. Um, but yeah, if you go back to a game like Dirt 3, uh, it definitely feels lighter. It feels, it feels like a launch title in that like, well, we couldn't do all of the things we did before, so we're just going to try and take what little content we have and execute it with the most quality, which I respect, but, um, the thing is it wasn't really like it was on the cusp of like the new gen, but like given the way game development development is now you don't really have to do that anymore game scale across generations so there's no reason that dirt 5 couldn't have been a bigger game than it was and it just i remember it being a little bit sort of um i mean i really liked it but i remember kind of being at odds with myself about it because it was like this game takes zero like it does nothing new there is absolutely nothing new happening here but i like what they did um so yeah uh, but yeah, I mean, we, we go back and we look at games like, I don't know, like, uh, the, the original Colin McRae series and just the wealth of content that that game had and how long it took like dirt rally to kind of get to that level too. And even then it's kind of missing like sort of the personality that like the CMR series had, you know? So I think that, I think that there's a lot of, uh, there are a lot of examples that you can pull on that will validate the feeling that like these racing games have kind of stopped dreaming big at the same time you know look at need for speed unbound like need for, need for speed unbound for better or for worse has a lot of shit going on that like 
I don't remember seeing in like Need for Speed Rivals or yeah. or yeah. even like Most Wanted 2012, which like while I mean that's another game where we disagree, but like that game was infamously um, sort of kneecap from what they wanted it to be. It ended up kind of coming out in sort of like a half. Uh, formed state where it was like well let's just get the city and the car and the cars working and that's it but they wanted a story yeah. in that game they wanted a bunch of things and they and they couldn't execute it so um uh yeah i i think it depends on where you're where you're pulling your examples it's you're the reality here is for all these hot takes uh, you're never going to find one that's entirely true but i think that yeah. in terms of hitting your your uh you know hitting uh yourself on sort of a feeling i i agree with this one yeah yeah and i don't even know how you come out of that cycle either because i think especially in the instant feedback age we live in of twitter and that sort of thing like you've seen it when unbound got officially unveiled like just mass hysteria about something that had in, uh, some rgb colors and stuff <laughs> in it. instead of like just a, a grayscale city there's definitely that worry now that anything that does kind of step outside the comfort zone of what people expect will be met badly and I think that's the kind of the the behind the behind the scene forces of trying to launch a new IP or piggybacking off of one that already makes money will always be a challenge now especially in the, the heightened cost of game dev and that sort of thing because there could be a really cool experience that's an offshoot from Need for Speed but it'll always be called a Need for Speed game now, I feel like. I don't think we'll see that many AAA by racing game standards, uh, new IPs that emerge, unless it's like a new motorsport game by like Codemasters, uh, WRC, that sort of thing. Um, I think a lot of racing games now actually get sold on the basis of their legacy as opposed to what they want to trailblaze into the future. And I don't, I don't blame any parties for that. That's just the kind of harsh nature of the current uh, games industry, isn't it? I guess it's, um, it's it's a very difficult place to find an actual niche for yourself in. And if you cut all ties with the the series that kind of birthed this game, it may have started under a, a, an existing IP and it turns into its own thing. I feel as if there is that kind of worry that if you decide to totally isolate from that IP that it was birthed from, that you could be letting the game release into to no hype, anticlimactic kind of scenario, that sort of thing. And I, I don't really know how you fix that really, unless you've got an absolutely stellar um, introduction. You could argue Onrush actually had a strong intro in terms of like that first trailer. I think that kind of really surprised people, but it was because they thought it was Motorstorm, <laughs> and and that was the issue. As soon as like Rushy and Co kind of elaborated that it wasn't that, yeah, the, like the, the perception just flipped immediately, and that game was destined to fail. So it's a, it's a very fickle environment that games release into now. And hell, Fortnite was branded a PUBG clone for like the first few months of its release. Yeah, and now find me 10 people you know that play PUBG that's the, it's, it's funny it's just the way it goes in the games industry it's so crazy it's so fast paced and and you can get left in the dust and I think especially in a, a niche industry like uh, the racing game genre specifically it is very hard to make a mark for yourself yeah yeah isn't it always um, Gus saying general trend with industries and media and arts where legacy IPs get made and remade but new original stuff is impossible to get out the door 
uh yeah i mean look at look at every superhero movie yeah that basically tells yeah. you everything you need to know it happens it happens across all media so but yeah this is probably a good time to wrap up, but lots of lots of interesting takes here. I like that we talked a lot about like cart racers, which is something that we don't really <laughs> ever focus on. Yeah, yeah, um, lots of. We were uh, chatting about our our next episode that <laughs> we're gonna discuss Rally Day Africa and Rally Day Europe, which I'm looking yes. forward to. And I, it was actually funny because I saw that you tweeted that out. It actually got like 150 likes, and I was like, I didn't know that many people <laughs> yeah. knew these games existed, so that's very cool. Um, yeah, what what fun, weird little games, but that'll give us a lot to talk about. And then, um, you know, it'll probably be the one after that, but but down the line, we were thinking, again, you know, unfortunately with, uh, with losing Ken Block this past week, uh, digging back into dirt and realizing that we never talked about dirt we we did the podcast a couple years ago about grid one and two um yeah but we didn't discuss dirt and i think like as far as i'm thinking thinking about dirt i'm really concentrating on one through three because i feel like everything kind of after that is something else you know something worth talking about but maybe like it's too recent and when i think of dirt i think of those first three games so um that'll that'll make for a good discussion for sure and you also kind of intrinsically tie, well, especially two and three to, to Ken Block, mm-hmm. um, in terms of his influence and stuff. And it's almost like obviously the first Dirt game, Colin McRae, Dirt over here, um, and then just Dirt two and Dirt three everywhere in the world. Colin McRae name was dropped, but you do like, and in your head, like you intrinsically tie those games to Ken Block and. It's like Ken Block's <laughs> Dirt Two and, yeah. and Dirt Three wouldn't have been too like wouldn't have been too outlandish to consider. Obviously, it never branded as such, but those definitely feel like the games that for me uh, really put him on the map alongside the Jim Canna videos and those sort of things. And it's definitely something that um, it is long time due, and it, it's I guess it's the best way for a time extent we can kind of pay tribute to, to his impact on motorsport and games in general because like he was an absolute titan in that regard and um i said as much in my initial reaction to it but i don't think there is many uh people in motorsport who really transcended that driver caricature and, and actually emerged into something a lot more greater and mm. whether that be through dc shoes all those jim canna videos the, the hoonigan kind of the fandom and which followed um, he definitely left his mark on the video game side of things, and I think the Dirt Trilogy is the best way to for us to honor that. Yeah, I mean, there's this great. There are so many great um, kind of eulogies that have kind of that have come up about him from all corners of the internet. But uh, Tim Stevens wrote a really good one for The Verge. Um, he's just like, "There's no way that you're not a fan of something Ken Block did." Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, if you don't like cars, but you were on YouTube in 2009, you're a fan of Ken Block. You know, it's just like he. I never appreciated the the way in which he sort of like the the shrewd like sort of marketing aspect of him which i know is like shrewd marketer is never like a a nice way to describe somebody but like he was very he was very smart like smarter than anybody else um and seeing the potential there and of course he was a really nice guy so it was totally fine but um but yeah i mean that's dirt is obviously how he made his mark uh with, with us and uh just because we could we could just go into talking about this before we record in our episode about it but real quick playing dirt 2 i just like sort of the 
very quickly perusing the Wikipedia page, I didn't realize that like he was a consultant on the game, but particularly with the driving physics, he, uh, I guess, requested the Codemasters just like give the cars more grip. And you don't, if, if you haven't played Dirt 1 and 2 in a long time and you have the ability to, I strongly recommend that you do because I forgot how absolutely abysmally Dirt 1 handled and how perfectly Dirt 2 handles. It really is like, <laughs> in terms of physics and handling, it really yeah. is one of the most like profound glow-ups that I think like I've ever seen in, in racing games. And uh, Ken Block had a part in that. So I think that alone is, is really, really cool. But uh, yeah, there's definitely more to talk about there. So that'll be a, a fun one. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree on that. And it's uh, it, it's like everybody seeing the chat as well. It was such a shock, such a, a terrible occurrence for, for this to happen. But if anything, it's sad it always goes this way, but death off, often makes you realise just how important some people were. And I, I was heavy into motorsport racing games growing up and such, but Ken Block's reach was that far that it was somebody totally not even into motorsports who first showed me a video involving him and the rest is history from there so yeah. I think that the, the kind of many lives he touched through that and the fact that various people I know who have no interest in in what like kind of Hoonigan was doing at the time now or or racing in general still reached out and said did you see that the, the guy who did the the Jim Canna videos died like I think his his footprint from a motorsport that isn't Formula One is something only a select few like Colin McRae can ever ever say they had and I think that's the the silver lining here is that it's made us realise just how important it was to, to motorsport to, to, to racing video games as well and just pretty much extreme sports as well yeah 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 now I just want to talk about Ken Black um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so I guess uh I guess I'll pretty much do it for this episode um yeah, thanks everybody for joining us. Uh, fun to do these live ones when we have the chance, and I think we'll be doing a lot more of them in the future. This this happens to be a good time for both of us, and uh, I know it's getting late where you are, Brent, but um, yeah, it's always good to involve people in the in the process when we can and uh, post it. You're getting a sneak peek in an episode that um, other people will hear in a couple more days. Uh, so yeah, that's a good opportunity, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks everybody for joining me. The, these live pods are great because it's just good seeing some reactions to people in real time as well. And obviously, it's not like a traditional stream we do where we can react to every single comment. Right. But rest assured that the thoughts that are being put in there, we kind of subconsciously kind of incorporate into our discussion points and hopefully address in a roundabout way. I guess if you're asking us certain things and that sort of thing, we'll try and do more traditional streams as well, of course. Um, but the the live podcast format is definitely something we're having a lot of fun with and, and we're going to try to continue going forward. I gotta see you play another game like Need for Speed The Run that you just <laughs> remember perfectly in your brain then you go to play it and you're just like, this isn't this isn't the same. Something's off. It, yeah, that was the definition <laughs> of like, see when you're at a party or something and you're saying to your friends, wow, let's wait till it gets to this part of the song, you're going to fucking love it. <laughs> and then like, for some reason it just doesn't, it doesn't hit right and like, that was the <laughs> that was the only definition of like playing this on stream with you. It was just like, oh, you know what? It's actually like I like it, but I could, <laughs> I'm not going to convince Adam here. But yeah. that was like the the closest parallel to that for me was the the old wait for the drop. Wait for the drop. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait for the drop, and it doesn't doesn't drop. Uh, I wish we saved that stream. 
<laughs> yeah. I always forget twice removes them. Yeah. yeah. It's annoying. Uh, all right. Well, thank you everybody so much for uh, for listening. Uh, thanks those of you in the stream for being here. And uh, yeah, you'll see us again soon. Cheers, guys. Bye.